chapter 35. Numbers chapter 35. In our D group reading this week, there were so many things that I could have covered. Gosh, I, I could have talked about how the Israelites were told what to do and disobeyed, and, and they were told what to do and they disobeyed, and they were told what to do and then they disobeyed, and then they were told what to do, and they disobeyed. But I think we got that, right? I just covered it, so, so we're good. Uh, uh, there's a, a cartoon that's floated around for a long time. It's a, uh, I wish I'd looked it up so I could remember it exactly, but it's basically the church people sitting there saying, why do we have to read, by, read about griping, complaining people who don't do, want to do what God says. What does that have to do with us today? Um, Self-awareness is always helpful. Could have gone to those places, but I, I felt like at, at the beginning, at the beginning of the week, I believe the Lord was leading me to uh, the city of refuge, and I wasn't even sure during the week. I was like, God, is that what you want me to preach on? Is there not something else in here? And I just kept coming back to that. And I didn't know what, uh, honestly, until probably Friday or Saturday. And I hate those feelings. And, and I'll, uh, just confession, this is why I prefer to preach through a book of the Bible. I know what I'm preaching the next Sunday. It's the next verse or the next section of verses. So it's easier, uh, to be honest, than to have, well, what? 15 chapters to, to choose from. And we like easy. I, I don't want to have to wait on the Lord to tell me something on Friday. I want to know on Monday what I'm going to do. But then the Lord shows up and, and give us, gives us the direction that we need when we need it. Our city of refuge is the title of the message this morning. Now, I want to clear up something from last week because there have been a lot of questions this week. Um, not enough directed toward me. I just kind of heard about the questions. Feel free to ask me questions too, by the way. I did get a couple directed toward me Sunday. No, I don't know of anything stirring in the background. Uh, the end of the message last week, I talked about the talking and how that damages a staff more than other things that I, I talked about at the end of the message. That was just where the text went, y'all. There was, there was no, there's nothing going on, nothing y'all need to be concerned about. I don't know of anything going on. Now, if you do and there's something we should be concerned about, well, please let me know. But as far as I know, nothing's going on. Uh, just that was where the text was that, that week and where it took me in my thinking and my planning and let's call it preventative maintenance, um, an inoculation to what might happen later on. So let's get that out of the way so nobody has to worry anymore and, and talk to a friend who talked to a friend who talked to a friend who talked to me about it. It is funny that that's how y'all are asking the question when I just talked about, talk anyway, whatever, you know. This morning it's our city of refuge. Now we, we understand, we, we know that a shadow uh, just gives an impression. 
It, it's kind of like the, uh, the, the cameos, right? The, the ones that they would wear. And, and if you look at the, the shadow and, and, and that the shadow captures the outline well enough and, and the outline of whatever it is is uh, uh, distinctive enough, you know what that shadow represents. Uh, I wish I had thought to do this on the screen, but I didn't. But uh, if I showed you a shadow of the Incredible Hulk, either the Lou Ferrigno version for those of you who are uh, above the age of 35, or the uh, Mark Ruffalo MCU uh, version for those of you who are under the age of 50, um, and, and care about that sort of thing, you'd, you'd know, oh, that's, yeah, that's, that's, that looks like the Hulk. Or if I showed you an outline, uh, a shadow of the Empire State Building, you'd likely be able to pick that out. Or the Sydney Opera House. I mean, there are a number of, of landmarks uh, and, and, and people even that you would know. I mean, if, if I showed you the shadow of, of uh, uh, a person that had hair that was pulled from way over here and kind of flipped back and you'd, oh, that's Trump. Uh, you'd, you'd, you'd recognize some, some things when you saw it. And that's what a shadow does. A, a shadow gives us an impression. It, it's not an exact image, right? It, it lacks much detail. A, a shadow has no depth. It has uh, no characteristics other than the outline, the cameo, but you get enough of the idea to recognize the real thing when you see the shadow. Uh, if, if you could only see a shadow, and then one day you actually got to see the real thing. If I only showed you an outline of a, a building that was really tall and, and squared up with a, a, a tower on the top, and especially if I hung a gorilla up there, and then you went to New York. Why do y'all keep pointing behind me? What's over where? Oh, oh, sorry, family joke. I was wondering what, I was, thought I was missing something up here. And, and uh, I, okay. Um, so uh, if I showed you that, and then you saw the Empire State Building in real life, sans gorilla, you go, oh, that's the shadow he showed us. This passage is a shadow a foreshadowing of Jesus. It's not a, a one-to-one correlation. There's, there's not one-to-one detail. I, I'm not going to be able to go through every verse. People have tried, and I think they, they mess up when they do. I can't th go through every verse and say, oh, this is Jesus' hand on the right side of the cross, and Jesus' hand on the left. This. It, it's not that sort of thing. It is a shadow. It is an impression that when we read this, we go, Oh, yes, the real thing is Jesus. Now, verse 13 is kind of the, the hinge verse this morning. Uh, the cities you select will be your six cities of refuge. But I want to read 9 through 34, the entire chapter, or most of the, most of the chapter, um, for us this morning to give us the, the context of what's going on here. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and tell them, when you cross the Jordan into the land of Canaan, designate cities to serve as cities of refuge for you, so that a person who kills someone unintentionally may flee there. You'll have the cities as a refuge from the avenger. Now the avengers, singular, the avenger, 
so that the one who kills someone will not die until he stands trial before the assembly. The cities you select will be your six cities of refuge. Select three cities across the Jordan and three cities in the land of Canaan to be cities of refuge. These six cities will serve as a refuge for the Israelites and for the alien or temporary resident among them so that anyone who kills a person unintentionally may flee there. If anyone strikes a person with an iron object and death results, he is a murderer. The murderer must be put to death. If anyone has in his hand a stone capable of causing death and strikes another person and he dies, the murderer must be put to death. If anyone has in his hand a wooden object capable of causing death and strikes another person and he dies, the murderer must be put to death. The avenger of blood himself is to kill the murderer. When he finds him, he is to kill him. Likewise, if anyone in hatred pushes a person or throws an object at him with malicious intent and he dies, or if in hostility he strikes him with his hand and he dies, the one who struck him must be put to death. He is a murderer. The avenger of blood is to kill the murderer when he finds him. But if anyone suddenly pushes a person without hostility or throws any object at him without malicious intent or without looking drops a stone that could kill a person and he dies, but he was not his enemy and didn't intend to harm him, the assembly is to judge between the person who kills someone and the avenger of blood according to these ordinances. The assembly is to protect the one who kills someone from the avenger of blood. Then the assembly will return him to the city of refuge he fled to, and he must live there until the death of the high priest who was anointed with the holy oil. If, one, if the one who kills someone ever goes outside the border of the city of refuge he fled to, and the avenger of blood finds him outside the border of his city of refuge and kills him, the avenger will not be guilty of bloodshed. For the one who killed a person was supposed to live in his city of refuge until the death of the high priest. Only after the death of the high priest may the one who has killed a person return to the land he possesses. These instructions will be a statutory ordinance for you throughout your generations wherever you live. If anyone kills a person, the murderer is to be put to death based on the word of witnesses, but no one is to be put to death based on the testimony of one witness. You are not to accept a ransom for the life of someone who is guilty of murder. He must be put to death. Neither should you accept a ransom for the person who flees to his city of refuge, allowing him to return and live in the land before the death of the high priest. Do not defile the land where you live, for bloodshed defiles the land, and there can be no atonement for the land because of the blood that is shed on it, except by the blood of the person who shed it. Do not make the land unclean where you live and where I dwell, for I, the Lord, reside among the Israelites." Now, that's a lot of murder talk. And it's important to, to, to hear that, to understand where, the, where God was coming from when he gave these instructions to Moses. Now, it sounds very vengeful. I mean, avenger. And, and, and it is, but understand that as we move through Scripture, God is constantly reorienting, reorienting, let me say that word better, reorienting His people toward grace. What do I mean by that? Well, in, when Cain committed his sin against Abel and was kicked out, he was given a mark, some sort of uh, understanding from the people who saw him. No, I don't know where those other people came from, so don't ask me. He was given this mark so that people recognize 
who he was and would not kill him, would not take vengeance on him. Then later on, uh, I believe it was uh, Nimrod, if I remember correctly, somebody correct me who knows their Old Testament better than me, that killed a man, and he said, if someone takes vengeance on me, if it was one life for one life with Cain, for me, it'll be one life for seven lives. So you hear how important he thought himself and said, if I'm killed, then seven people die. If Cain's killed, one person dies. If I'm killed, seven people die. Well, then later on in uh, the, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, we get to eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, which sounds a lot like vengeance. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth is grace because it was pulling back on if, I, if I'm killed, seven people die. That's not grace. That's not even one-to-one -one vengeance. That's one-to-seven vengeance, right? You see, see where I'm going with this? So when God says an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, he is telling them, no, 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 one life for one life, one tooth for one tooth, one eye for one eye. There's no extra. Then we get to numbers. And it was just the law of the land that if you killed my family member, not only am I going to kill you, but I'm going to probably take out your whole family. I'm going to take incredible revenge on you. But it was certainly at least you're going to die. And when you do, when I kill you, somebody in your family is probably going to come after me and kill me. And then they're going to kill one or two more, most likely, that are at least try, are either trying to protect me or just happen to be there. And then four or five are going to do the, go back and take out seven or eight, seven or ten, and, and it's just going to escalate until we've got two countries at war. This passage is grace. This passage says, no, you can't just go and take the life of someone who killed somebody else. There has to be a trial. Now, it does say if it was murder and he catches them before he gets to the city of refuge, well, you know, there you go. But at the city of refuge, once he's there, there's a trial, we're going to discuss it, and then a sentence will be passed, will be given, and he will either be executed for murder or he will be in this city of refuge for manslaughter. So this whole passage, as convoluted as it may seem as we read it, and, and discussion of, of metal objects and wood objects, but I mean, he's getting down to intent, is a passage of God saying, hold back on the vengeance. What's God going to say even later? Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. The New Testament offers no statement on death penalty, uh, um, sentencing, and those sorts of things. Because grace moves further and further down the road and expands as it does. But what do we see then in this passage? Five points this morning, if I counted right. The first, one, first point we see this morning, the first aspect of, of, of God's heart that we see in this passage is the sanctity of life. 
We see it in verses 11, 15, and 35. Designate cities to serve as cities of refuge for you. So the person who kills someone unintentionally may flee there. Uh, Verse 15, these six cities will serve as a refuge for the Israelites and for the alien or temporary resident among them so that anyone who kills a person unintentionally may flee there. Then all the way down to 33, do not defile the land where you live for bloodshed defiles the land. God makes clear in this passage, these 23 verses or so, the sanctity of life, the whole thing. And he is giving us the sanctity of all lives, all of them. The the passage shows that the life of the killed person is holy, is important. The sanctity of his life, what you might miss in this passage is when it says avenger of blood, that same word is used later on for Boaz in the book of Ruth. And what was Boaz? A kinsman redeemer. As a matter of fact, that same word will be later used in the Old Testament for our redeemer who is coming to save us. Same word. Avenger, kinsman, redeemer, that's all the same word because they all had the same responsibility to redeem the life that had been lost. Redeem the life that had been uh, a a victim of sin. The sanctity of life, of the life of the killed, the sanctity of the life of the killer we see in this passage. Whether intentional or unintentional, there is sanctity in that life. There's a refuge for this person uh, to to run to, especially if they know it was an accident. Even if they know it wasn't an accident, there is a refuge for them to run to. There is a trial that must take place. And even for the, the killer, it can't be on the basis of one witness. Two or more witnesses have to say, yes, I saw that person do it. Yes, this should be a conviction. Because even the life of that killer is special to God. The punishment, the justice for that murder, may be to take his life. And in this case, it is. But that does not take away from the uh, holiness, the importance of that life to God. As a matter of fact, the fact that the the killer is killed just reflects again the importance of and the sanctity of life in general. That only a life can be given for a life. And we even see in this passage the life of the citizen and the alien, regardless of where you were who you were, whether you were a natural-born Israelite or you had come in from one of the surrounding countries, you had the same rights. You had the same hope, the same refuge to run to. They were protected just the same. And in a few minutes, we're going to actually see that all life was priceless. In fact, we'll see that when we get to the end or in the next section. 
And then we see finally in verse 33 that the taking of life brings a curse. Life is so sanctified, so holy. That's what the word sanctified means, or sanctity, the holiness of life. Life is so holy that the actual taking of life, the murdering, uh, defiles the entire land. And this was a big deal for God. As a matter of fact, if, we, if, if you remember in some of your earlier readings in, uh, in, in Exodus, that they were told that if you don't follow these statutes and ordinances and you don't obey the Sabbaths and you don't obey the, uh, the feasts, the land is going to play out and then I'm going to send armies in to take you out and, and a few times God says, and finally the land will have its Sabbath. The land will have its opportunity to heal because everything that you do affects the land because that was the promise. Now, let's rewind or fast forward, however you want to look at it, just a second to 2 Chronicles 7.14. Rewind because I preached on that a few months ago or years ago, whatever it happened to be. I think it was like in February. Chronicles 7.14, as I uh, preached to you, says, I will heal the land. And, and, and Israel, as God's chosen country, as the promised land no longer exists, he's not saying he's going to heal the land of Israel. He's going to heal the land of his people, the church. And if he's healing the land of his people, we have no land. We own a block in sulfur, but that ain't what he's talking about. He will heal our church. Why does he need to heal our church? Because we need to uh, submit... Oh, I'm going to get this wrong. If my people call by my name, who will humble themselves and pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways. Well, what's the problem in all that? We've sinned. It is our sin that has defiled the land. It is our sin that has defiled the church. Over and over, God says, you hurt the promise that I have given you by your sin. The taking of life brings a curse. In this passage, we see that it is life that is holy. The next thing we see, I believe, is the seriousness of murder. Verses 33-33. Now, this is a corollary to the sanctity of life. If, if life is holy, then murder is serious, and it is a, a major issue. Well, just, just by looking at the consequences... You, we can see that murder is a serious charge, one of the most. It's right up there with idolatry and a couple of others. Murder required a life. If you took a life, your life was forfeit. And, and to be honest, even if you took a life accidentally, the life, your life as you knew it was also forfeit. You had to go live in a Levite city. That's what these cities of refuge were. They were cities where the Levites had set up. They got some 48 cities across the promised land. Six of them were cities of refuge. So your life was altered for some period of time because of even taking the life accidentally. So it was a serious issue to take somebody's life because it defiled the land, because it defiled God. 
And then we see the serious, uh, seriousness of murder because of uh, verse 31. You are not to accept a ransom for the life of someone who is guilty of murder. He must be put to death. You, you, there's no fine big enough to cover taking somebody's life. That's why I said earlier, life is priceless. There's no price you can pay, no high enough bill to pay to make abortion right. There's no fine big enough you can pay to cover murdering someone because life is precious. It can't be paid off. Even the one who killed someone unintentionally, if they go to this city of refuge, they can't, that person can't pay a fine, can't uh, pay a ransom and leave that city of refuge early. There's no amount of money that can cover a life because of the seriousness of murder, and murder is serious because life is holy. And then again, we see in verse 33, murder is so serious that it brings a curse. A curse on the land, a curse on the promise that God had given them, a curse on the very thing that they depended on to keep them a people. Do not make the land unclean, he says. But then, as with all scripture, God provides hope. And that takes us back to verse 13, the, 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 the hinge of this passage, I think. The cities you select will be your six cities of refuge. There is a hope of refuge for every person who commits the sin of unintentional murder. Still a sin to take a life, still a problem, still not good. There's even refuge for the one who commits murder intentionally, though it may be short-lived and temporary. But what we see in this hope of refuge is the hope of comfort, the hope that you can get there and you can be protected, you can be comforted, you can find relationships again. It ain't going to be with your family unless your family comes with you. It's going to be different. But there's the hope that you can find comfort. There's the hope of safety. The avenger of blood cannot find you, cannot get to you in that city. And we're going to read over and over as we move through uh, the Old Testament times when this law was not obeyed. When avengers came in, when, when the, they, the, the statutes that God set up broke down. Read Amos and especially the other uh, minor prophets. And you see how they did not protect the innocent. Did not protect people like they should. There's the hope of safety. You get there. There's the hope of security. Once you're there, you are good until you're dumb enough to leave. And that's pretty much it. If you go out of the city, you've lost your security. But while there, while there, you are secure. And the hope of peace, the, the fight will not find you where, when you're resting in that city of refuge. And that's the hope. And, that's, and those cities in the promised land were set up about equidistant from the rest of the promised land. Wherever you were in the promised land, you had about the same distance, about the same amount of time to get to a city. You were within a certain number of miles 
ish, it's not exact, but within a certain number of miles of, of a city of refuge wherever you lived. So you had that hope in all cases. But while there was the hope of refuge for the unintentional, there was the guarantee of justice for the intentional. Don't miss that God's setting that up too. There would be justice for the one who committed intentional murder. Verse 30 again. If anyone kills a person, the murderer is to be put to death based on the word of witnesses. And then uh, it was a little further up that there would be a, a community that would come together, basically our jury trial, that would come together and, and try this, uh, this person and make the decision, decide between them, and I can't find the passage now and I didn't write it down, so. Um, 14? 24. 24, thank you. There we go, the assembly is to judge between the person who kills someone and the avenger of blood according to these ordinances. So there's a trial. The groups get, the city's gonna get together, the assembly, the, the elders in the gate, and they're going to judge, but it is going to be done, hopefully, justly. Again, the prophets talked about them not doing this the way they were supposed to over and over and over about how they had defiled the land by not ruling justly, by not following and protecting the, the, the innocent, but also not uh, giving justice to the guilty. In that trial, the truth would be known and then proper justice would be meted out. They would make the decision based on evidence, two witnesses or more, was it murder or was it unintentional? And then the decision would be made and that would be the final decision. So God set up the, 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 uh, the process, the result by which a decision would be made guilty or not guilty. And then finally, we see the promise of pardon. In verses 25 and 28, the assembly is to protect the one who kills someone from the avenger of blood. Then the assembly will return him to the city of refuge he fled to, and he must live there until the death of the high priest who was anointed with the holy oil. Verse 28, for the one who killed a person was supposed to live in his city of refuge until the death of the high priest. Only the death of the high priest, only after the death of the high priest may the one who has killed a person returned to the land he possesses. There's a promise of pardon for the one that, that found refuge in the city, for the one that made it to the city, for the one who had gone through the trial and it had been determined that this was an unintentional act, then that person knew their salvation was certain. And as long as they stayed in that city, as long as, and as long as the high priest was alive, they had to stay in that city, but they were safe. They were protected. Their protection was permanent. Once the, the trial had, been, uh, had ended and justice had been meted out, in this case, you have to stay in the city until the death of the high priest. It was a permanent thing. As long as you're here, you're good. When the high priest dies, you get to leave and you're good. It was a permanent protection. And then uh, another way to look at it is their future 
was firm. This is the only alliteration you're going to get this morning. The future was firm. They, they could live with confidence knowing my, the, the end of my life is secure, regardless of when the high priest dies. Maybe he's really old, and I only have to live in the city of refuge for a few weeks, a few months. Maybe he's younger, and, he's, and I'm older than he is, so I'm going to outlive him, so I've got to stay here longer. Either way, they could go on with life. They could go on living knowing that their future is firm. Now, hopefully, as we've worked through their, this passage, and there's more here. And we, we could point out some more things, but as I said, uh, some of them are going to get really tenuous, uh, in connecting to the New Testament, and others are just unnecessary. We could spend some more time talking about this, but more time than we have. Hopefully, as we've gone through it, you have begun to see the outline of the shadow. Hopefully, what you see here is the, the shadow of a cross with a man hanging on it and a crown of thorns on his head sign above them. That should be the shadow you see, and you've begun to make, even on your own, some correlations here, and see who your city of refuge is. See, to, to take the five points the same way, in your city of refuge, understand God loves you, the sanctity of life. Your life is special to God. You are special to God. God loves you. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're sitting in here listening or you're watching on there listening, and this is weeks from now, months from now, years from now. I don't care what you are involved in. I don't care what you have done. God loves you. He knows you too, though. He knows everything about you. He knows your heart. He knows if you are far from Him or if you are close to Him. He knows if you are trusting in your own ways for salvation or if you are trusting in Jesus for salvation. He knows you personally. And He loves you personally. It's not just He loves humanity and you're a part of it. He loves you. And you are precious to Him. And if you don't believe it, look at the shadow of the cross. That's how much God loved you. That's the sanctity of your life. But there's a second reality here. For us to understand, for you to understand, to find your city of refuge, you need to know that your sin separates you from him. It was our second point, the seriousness of murder. It doesn't have to be murder for you to sin. That's only one of them. And as a matter of fact, if, if, if we uh, lean toward Leviticus and saying that's the way murder should be handled, let's remember Jesus said if you hate someone in your heart, you've committed murder. So we might want to woe up on the killing people for murder. Just, I mean, just blanket statement anyway. Because if we were doing that, I think most of us would be dead. If we believe what Jesus said, that if we've hate some, hated someone in our heart, we've committed murder. 
But it's a serious issue. Sin is a serious issue. Murder, in this case, is a serious issue. He's going to talk about other sins being serious issues. Again, if you don't understand the seriousness of sin, look at the cross. If you don't understand the seriousness of sin, and if you think, well, some sins are worse than others, look at Paul's lists of sins. There are quite a few, not just Paul, but in the New Testament. And look at the things that will not inherit the kingdom of God. Murderers, homosexuals, liars, gossipers. I don't know if I've landed on anybody yet. Probably. (laughs) You don't have to confess it. And if we keep going, we're going to find that we all, because he goes on to say, and uh, all of these you once were. So the seriousness of sin, not just the seriousness of murder, is the shadow that we should see. Because that sin, the New Testament tells us, separates us from Jesus. It's sin, it's a separation, it's a, 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 a seriousness that you can't buy off. Does that sound like you can't earn your salvation? It should, again, a shadow, but you should hear. If you can't pay a ransom for your, for your murder, then... We take that to a broader level and we see you can't pay a ransom for your sin. You ain't got enough money and you ain't got enough life. You can't do it. And if we look at the seriousness of murder and the curse that it creates on the land, and we talked about this a little bit when we talked about Second Chronicles and all that, sin creates a curse on your life. How many of us look at our lives and go, man, I've had some really bad days, but really my best days were were when I was so stuck in sin. Those were the good days. Those were when life really went well. Rarely, especially if we're honest with ourselves, will we ever say, man, sin did some good things in my life. We realize that sin is a curse on our lives. Because if it's not the sin itself that causes problems, it's the repercussions and reverberations throughout life that cause problems. Our sin separates us from Him. It is serious in our lives, but we see that we have a hope of refuge. Jesus is our only protection. So if I can't buy off my sin, if I can't earn my righteousness, then what do I have? I only have Jesus. We see the shadow of that cross, and the people knew it. They knew as they read this, wow, this is some tough stuff. And God knew it was tough stuff, and God knew, yes, but I'm sending you a Savior. They were going to start seeing that. They've already seen it in Genesis 3.15. And they would see over and over, yes, but something greater is coming. Jesus is our only protection. Comfort, safety, security, and peace can be yours. Comfort from sin, safety from sin, security from sin, and peace in the midst of your life can be yours. And that is both from the curse of sin 
and the curse of life. No, you will not be perfect. Yes, you will sin. But to know that in the midst of even a sinful life such as mine, I find comfort in Jesus through forgiveness and grace. I find safety from sin because it has no power over me. I jump headlong into it when I sin. It's not because sin makes me do anything or the devil or anybody else. And praise God, we are secure in our city. We are secure in Jesus once we have reached that city of refuge. He will not let us go. We will not be outside those gates. And we can have peace no matter what we go through, the curse of sin and the curse of life, even in our most trying times, even when we are staring at a dadgum third tropical issue coming in the Gulf of Mexico, and we're in the cone of stupidity, apparently, again, barely, I mean, cone of certainty, whatever. At this point, cone of uncertainty, just the... I like cone of stupidity. Our most trying times, even when we have no answers and no way out, we have a city of refuge. You have a city of refuge that you can run to. But you got to get to the city. Because there is a penalty for sin. There is a guarantee of justice. Yeah, I changed the spelling on guarantee. For some reason, I was putting a Y on guarantee. I guess I thought it was a bank. There's a guarantee of justice. There is a certain penalty for your sin. Y'all, there are repercussions for your sin, even if you never pay the penalty for your sin. Even if you never have to pay the wages, you will still have to suffer the consequences. But the result of sin, God makes clear in this passage, will be a reckoning. Punishment is assured. Somebody is going to be punished for your sin. The question you need to answer is, whom will be punished? Right? Whom? I don't know. Who will be punished? Answer the question anyway, whether my grammar is right. Is it going to be you? Or is it going to be Jesus? See, the beauty is Jesus has already taken your punishment. You don't have to receive it. You don't have to stand before that judge and say, and, and hear, depart from me for I never knew you. You don't have to see that no matter your goodness, your, uh, your evilness outweighs it. It doesn't matter what it weighs. One thing on the bad side weighs more than all the good things because that's all it needs to be sinful. And sinfulness will never inherit the kingdom. There is a guaranteed penalty for sin. Well, if Jesus is your only protection and the penalty is guaranteed, then what you need to hear, what you need to accept is the promise of pardon. The, the high priest, the high priest that dies for your freedom. Do you see the shadow? Now, now we see not just the shadow of the, tomb, the, the cross, but the shadow of the tomb. A hill. And, and, and with the right light, you see the stone rolled away. You see a shadow of the one who saved you. 
who took the punishment so you didn't have to, whose death brought the pardon that you need, whose resurrection assured that pardon. And faith in Jesus brings the promise of your eternity. You hear him, you see him, you see in the distance that city of refuge. It's not something you have to travel a great distance to get to. Jesus is there waiting on you. And as I said in the promise of pardon earlier, your salvation upon the acceptance of Jesus Christ is certain. Your protection is permanent. And your future in Jesus is firm. No matter if it is another hurricane. No matter if it is another financial issue. No matter if it is another illness. No matter if it is another besetting sin that you just can't seem to kick. Jesus is firm. It is a firm promise of pardon. That's the shadow we should see in Scripture this morning as we read. And it's a, it's a great practice. We don't want to overdo it. Again, we want to see shadows. We want to see outlines. It's rare we find detail of what Jesus is doing later on. Occasionally, a virgin will conceive and bear a son. The government shall be on his shoulders. Yeah, one-to-one -one stuff there. But mostly, as you read through the Old Testament, as you do the D-group readings with us, you see these shadows of the cross. You see these shadows of Jesus. You see the shadows of the tomb. This morning I ask you, is your future firm? Is your protection permanent? Is your salvation certain? Have you run to your city of refuge? If you want to hear the way the New Testament puts it, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of that sin is death, the justice, the punishment, eternal death, separation from God, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And he did that while we were still sinners. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's, that's really the third point, the hope of refuge. The hope is there. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It does not matter who you are. That kind of goes back to the first point. It doesn't matter how far from God you are. It does not matter how deeply bound in sin you are. It does not matter how dirty you think or anybody else thinks you are. You are loved by God and Jesus died for you. Period. The end. Stop. But won't you come to him? Won't you respond in faith? Call on the name of the Lord. Confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and you will be saved. You will have the promise of pardon. Your salvation will be certain. Your protection will be permanent. And your future will be firm. Pray with me. Father, thank you that you have given us a certainty in Jesus Christ. God, there is nothing else certain in our lives. 
other than our sinfulness, other than the wages for that sin. But the fact that you love us so much that you sent your son to die for us, the fact that he died for me, that's certain. I might be able to quibble about my sin. I might be able to say I don't know about the future and, the, and eternity and all that, but I can speak with confidence that God loves me and Jesus died for me. And I pray for those listening to this message that they will see in the Old Testament the shadow of what we see in the, Old, uh, in the New Testament looking back. The Savior who wants to rescue us. The Savior who is our city of refuge. And may we run to him today if we never have. And Jesus, I, I pray that you would put your comforting arms around those who have run to you before, but they need to feel the security and the hope and the peace of being in this city of refuge right now. They love you. They've trusted you as, as their Savior. They know they are secure, but right now, life doesn't feel secure. There seems to be no refuge from what's coming at them. And I pray that they would find in you a city of refuge, comfort, hope, peace, security, and safety. Do that in our lives, we pray this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So I pray you have a decision to make this morning. As a believer, maybe you need to feel those enveloping arms of Jesus as a city of refuge. Maybe you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you need to respond to him by accepting him. Just as simply as those scriptures said, call on the name of the Lord, and you shall be saved. Maybe you have other decisions that you would like to share with the staff. You want to be baptized. You want to join our church. God's just working on your heart this morning. Let's take a few minutes and sing. If you have something you'd like to share with us, please grab me, Tom, Amy, one of these leaders, and share what he's doing, and let us celebrate that with you. Let's sing this morning and worship him as he does business on our hearts this morning.